Hey, it's always a good day uh, when we have baptisms. It's a great day when you do more baptisms than you thought you were going to do. That's a great thing. And I, want, I just want to put a challenge in, in front of you right now. If you're sitting here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, we're doing them again at 11. And I'm pretty serious about that. If you want to be baptized at the 11 o'clock service, then really you just need to talk to one of our pastors immediately following uh, this service. And we would love to make that happen uh, for you today. Just obey the Lord in that. Here is water. What prevents anybody from being baptized today? Amen? All right. So let's go after that. Uh, praise the Lord for an opportunity to be together and be in God's Word. Um, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 as we continue along in this series on rest. And I read, um, I read a global news report uh, this week uh, that said that in 2017, last year, 2017, more than $46 million in lottery winnings went unclaimed. $46 million in Canada went unclaimed. Now, I, I don't buy lottery tickets, but if I bought lottery tickets, like if I was that guy, I would not forget to check the numbers. Would you? $46 million in one calendar year left unclaimed. Now, now, the thing is, I've actually, like many of you here, I've actually won something far more valuable than a lottery jackpot. My numbers came up when I was 15 years old, and I received uh, the inheritance that is beyond anyone's wildest imagination in winning my salvation. Romans 5, 5, Paul says that this is a hope, this hope that I won is a hope that does not disappoint like lottery jackpots often do. And um, it's so hard to believe having won, so to speak, what I've won, to have what I have, it's so unbelievable to me that there would be people who would leave that hope Leave that jackpot unclaimed, even though it's available to all. Christ paid the price that we could all win, that everyone's number could come up. If only we would claim it. So many leave that hope unclaimed. Or at least if they're followers of Jesus Christ, this is the weird thing to me, they have the hope, but then they live Jesus Followers live as if they don't have that hope. Taking matters into their own hands and living a sad sack life and not actually living as people who possess the most valuable thing you could possess. Living like that means a constant striving to do it yourself. Wearing yourself out in an effort to make life makes sense, and finding no rest for your soul simply because you won't claim the hope that you have won through Jesus Christ. And this then becomes the fact of your life. You will not be at rest in your soul. The very thing we're going after in this series, you will not be at rest in your soul if you despair of life, if you have lost hope, if you are overwhelmed, if you see nothing changing in the future, nothing good on the horizon. So the, the message today is very simple from Hebrews chapter 6. Claim the hope 
that Jesus offers. Claim it as your own and live it out. And in today's passage, the preacher speaks to this hope. Verse 19, calling it, notice a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And I love that picture. We're going to talk about that in a little more depth in a few moments. So Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. Let me read the text and I'll pray for us. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Father, no doubt in this room, there are many who are in pain. There are many who are bearing sorrows and uh, the weight and burden of life. And Father, we know that you have the words of life for us, for everyone in this room. And you offer to us a hope that does not disappoint. And so God, I pray that we all would hear your word today, that all of us would be strengthened and encouraged and built up, that even those who are in the room today who don't know you as Savior would be drawn to the Savior today. Father, that you would do a miracle in this place, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us and convince us of the truths we're about to hear. And Father, these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go after it. Here we are. I can rest in the hope of Christ because, I'm going to give you four reasons for this. Um, I can rest in the hope of Christ because first I am confident in the promise. Now God has made many, many promises to us throughout the scriptures, uh, but all of the promises of God actually come down to one main promise that he has made to us. One overarching uh, promise. All the promises actually begin and end in this one. And it is that God has promised to uh, make right what we broke, to make right what we broke, to reverse the curse of sin, to reverse the curse and condemnation of death, to make it possible for you and I to be back in a relationship with our God and our Creator. And the preacher speaks in verses 13 and 14 of a promise to Abraham to make Abraham this a patriarch of the people of God to make a great nation of him. And from that great nation, a savior would come to redeem us and to, and to fix the problem, to, to, to repair what was broken. 
And you can read about that uh, conversation between God and the interaction between God and Abraham in the book of Genesis chapters 12 through 23. That's the Abraham narrative. But it's summarized for us here in a in a in a uh, just a little excerpt from uh, Genesis 22 where um, here in Hebrews it says surely I will bless you and I will multiply you I'm going to make you Abraham a great great nation and we see in verses 16 through 18 and this is what we're going after I'm confident in the promise just as Abraham was confident in the promise I'm confident in it in verses 16 through 18, we see that promise was as solid as you can get because it was grounded in, verse 18 says, two unchangeable things. It's grounded in the promise itself, and it's grounded in the oath that God made. And all of that against his character, who he is, because it says in verse 13, there's no one greater than him to swear by. We might swear by God. I, I swear to God I'll do that. We swear by something greater. But there is no one greater than God, so he swore by himself, by his own unchangeable character. They are 100% assured. And in essence, what God is saying, the force of what he's saying is, 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 if I don't get this done, if I don't keep this promise, then I am not God. But because I am God, it's certain now think about how that might impact your life. I mean, you might say my situation is so desperate that it's really without hope of changing at all. And I'm not sure how I can believe a promise like that. And again, to go back to Abraham, that was exactly Abraham's situation because this promise is coming to him. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to be the father of a great nation. And from you is going to come this savior. At this point, um, Abraham and Sarah were very old, like very old, like older than Pastor Roger old, like old. <laughs> See? Oh, did you hear all that? Every time for you. Abraham and Sarah were old. They were past the uh, childbearing years. And God's giving them this promise. You're going to be the father of a great nation. And how is this going to be? How can I believe in the hope of God when it seems so impossible? Yet God gives them this promise of being the father of a great nation. And the only thing that Abraham had um, to be able to hang that, that on was his faith. He just, he trusted God and God gave him this hope and it was, and God swore it by himself. And we want to think about what is hope exactly? What is Abraham actually grasping onto? We seek to even define what hope is. And John Piper, really helpful here, John Piper says that most definitions of hope fall short because they always seem to express some uncertainty. Uh, yesterday, Cheryl and I went to a, an outdoor wedding. And before an outdoor wedding, it's like the most tense thing, as if, as, as if things aren't tense enough for a bride and groom. We're going to do it outside. Okay, so let's add a whole different element to this, literally the elements. And it's always like leading up to the day, I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't rain. Okay, but that's not really the kind of hope we're talking about here, because there is definitely the possibility that it could rain. And so it's like, it's wishful thinking is what it really is. It's not genuinely hope. And that's what Piper is saying. 
Most definitions of hope fall short because they always seem to express some uncertainty. I hope it doesn't rain, but I think it might. Or, or I hope this job works out. And I go into the job and I'm really hoping it works out and I want to keep this job and I really like this job. Maybe it won't work out. Maybe I'll get fired. Maybe I won't like the job. Maybe my coworkers won't be great. There's always an element of uncertainty with it. So I'm not sure. So that's not really hope. That's where most definitions fall short. In contrast, Piper says this, and it's up on the screen here. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Now, one of the key words in that definition is confident. That's, that's a word that communicates. It's going to happen. Something great is coming down the line for me. I don't have it yet, but it's coming. I expect it to happen. It will happen because this is rooted in a promise, this hope. And God assured Abraham that he would inherit the land, that he would be the father of many nations, and that promise was as good as done. It was irrevocable. It could not be broken. What God wills, listen, what God wills is unchangeable. What God says, he will do. What God promises, he will fulfill. Do you believe that? All of that is true. And you and I, like Abraham, we may not see the whole thing fulfilled, but we trust him and are confident of his promise. And that's a great starting point of the first of the reasons I can rest in the hope of Christ because I'm confident in the promise. And then secondly, I am patient in the process. It always seems funny to me when I have to preach on patience. I don't uh, count myself as a super patient person. I've often confessed my own struggle with patience. I believe that I'm making progress in this as, um, as I age. I'm not actually that much younger than Pastor Roger. Um, I give myself a pass on patience with regard to traffic and the bozos who drive around me. <laughs> and in various other areas, I also give myself a pass on this matter of patience. Um, so maybe I'm not actually making any progress. I'm not actually sure about that, but let's hear what the Bible says instead. See, we have to have patience with God and his plan for us and how that all rolls out according to, and this is the part we don't like, according to his timing. So here's Abraham, verse 15. He gets this promise. He and Sarah don't have any children in their past childbearing years. And how is this even going to be fulfilled? But verse 15 says that Abraham patiently waited. You know, the old King James Version used uh, for patience, it used the word, do you remember this? Long suffering. Long and suffering is a perfect way to describe what patience is for many of us. And all he got for his patience was this, this promise. By definition, hope is something that's not yet realized. It's something you're looking forward to happening, but it hasn't happened yet. Otherwise, you wouldn't need the hope. So Abraham, the fulfillment according to God's plan, was that Abraham and Sarah would have one son. Period. The son of promise. God said, I will 
multiply. Now, I haven't studied math for a long time, but just adding one does not seem like multiplication to me. Does it to you? It seems like very simple addition. And it doesn't seem like quite enough to create a whole nation and to fulfill an entire promise to redeem the world. One son was it. Not many nations, not a nation at all, an only child. And so we, we could step back and in the situation, you think that Abraham could easily have asked the question, did God fail in his promise? Or was God too late to the game even? And we could even answer the question, yes. If we keep our perspective only in the immediate. If we only look at the simple span of his years on this earth. But we know now we're, um, Abraham uh, lived around 2000 BC. So we're 4,000 years after the fact. And we look back on it and we go, we, of course, I see how that all played out. And I know how that all happened. And I can see how there were great nations that came from Abraham. Even, even from his, even from his uh, son from Hagar, uh, great, great nations came out of that and too numerous to, 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 to count and to see the fulfillment in the people of Israel and to see the coming of the Messiah and the, and the Savior giving his life on the cross and all the result of that and all the people have given themselves uh, to follow Jesus Christ. And you look at it all and we say, okay, I get it. I get it now. But we need to enter into the moment where Abraham is living to see how difficult it might have been to have hope in the promise and to see how necessary it would be to, to patiently wait as Abraham did. That word patiently has a strong sense of endurance and perseverance and steadfastness and we as the followers of Christ have to have the long game in view not just the immediate. Mark Dever, pastor in Washington, says uh, this, in this life, victory often looks like endurance. Victory, think of victory in terms of the fulfillment of hope or the fulfillment of the promise. That's the ultimate victory. And what it often looks like is is endurance. I, I have to patiently wait. I have to make it through this. I have to persevere through so many things to get to that point. And for us, it's just super helpful to understand that my life is interwoven with all of yours. My marriage is, is, to, to Cheryl is, is part of a grand plan that God is fulfilling. My children and my family are all interconnected with everything else, as are all of yours. And God's working out something massive in this world. This church is part of it. We have, to, we have to stand back in the midst of our own trials and our own heartaches and pains and see that God's working out something we can't possibly fully understand. We can't just think of the now, but of the generations to come and all that God wants to do and will do in His glorious and perfect plan. 
Now, for sure, that can be a tough sell when things are hard right now. When you have faced sudden tragedy, seeing how that fits into the big picture doesn't even seem very important. When you are facing a month after month and year after year of relent, unrelenting pain and, and a trial that's just never stopping, it's just hard to see beyond the immediate. And even to have hope in the midst of that, I, I understand that, but those times of difficulty and trial when we are tired and weak, these are the great moments in which the hope of Christ sustains us and or Christ is glorified in us because we have simply believed a promise. God's going to make everything right. No matter how broken it is right now, how, how deep the valley seems to be or how hard it is for me to even think about living tomorrow, living through today, I believe a promise. You can make this right. Verse 18 speaks of those who have fled for refuge, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Before us. That we're, we're to flee to Jesus, that he's to be our refuge from the storm. And the fact that we need a refuge and that the preacher speaks to it here in Hebrews betrays the serious pain that we often feel in our circumstances. We have to be sure that we don't flee to the wrong things. You know, in the midst of uh, dark days in my own life, and I've experienced some of these, a particular thing that I went through uh, nine, ten years ago, the way that I coped with that was sleeping, which seems interesting in a series on rest. But sometimes sleep can go beyond just the rest you need to being an escape. Where it becomes easier to curl up in a ball in a dark room and shut everyone else out and not let anyone in or anything bother you. And in sleep, find some kind of relief. Only it doesn't work because you wake up and it's all still there. And at best, it's a temporary reprieve from the pressures that are around you. Sleep alone cannot solve the crisis. That's why this series is, is not attempting to give physical solutions to the problem of why we're so tired. The, the solution is in our souls not in our bodies. When I use anything as a coping mechanism, that mechanism will eventually cease to work. It will not give you rest in your soul. If your heart and mind are not set on Christ, God wants us, notice, to flee to Him. We need to flee to Christ. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 46, verse 1, and it just starts out this way. God is my refuge and strength, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I can't tell you of the hundreds of times that I have thought about this verse and read it to others 
and shared it in the midst of trials. We need to trust His promises. Because we don't know the end. We don't know how this is all playing out. We don't have all the information to see how God is weaving everything together. Bill Thrasher said this, God's will is exactly what you would desire it or would desire if you knew all the facts. And you say, I wouldn't choose this trial for me right now. I wouldn't choose this life for me. I would never choose this. But that's because you don't have all the facts. If you had all the facts, if you had all the information, if you knew exactly how it's going to end and how it's going to tie into so many other lives around you, then you would accept it and you would say, this is perfect. And we would have, in the midst of that, coming to that realization, we would have, verse 18, we would have strong encouragement from that. I'm so encouraged that my brokenness, that my trial, that what I'm going through right now is not only going to perfect me, but it's going to affect other people around me. And ultimately, it's going to glorify God and accomplish His will and His plan. This is why the preacher in Hebrews is preaching this to his Hebrew listeners. Because they too were in a very difficult situation. They needed strong encouragement. They were beaten down. They were under persecution, these first century saints. They were facing false teachers coming in and undermining the church's teaching. They were under trials and temptation. And they needed a strong word to build them up. And the preacher is giving it to them. And the word is this. God who never breaks a promise and always comes through is right there with you right now, walking through this trial with you. He knows all about you. He knows the circumstances of your life. He knows how it's all going to turn out. And it may not be the way you want it to turn out. But no matter, he's there and he has your best in mind. And a day is coming when everything is going to make sense and everything's going to be better. He's going to make it so. And in the meantime, we exercise patience and we hold fast to our hope. Confident in the promise, patient in the process, unmoved by the problems. I am unmoved by uh, the problems in my life. We have uh, the metaphor here of an anchor in verse 19. It's uh, something that is stable and secure. Um, it should, an anchor should keep a ship, a boat from uh, moving. Ships at anchor are at rest. Again, something we're going for in this series. Now, there are good places, as I've uh, learned a little bit, there are good places and good ways to anchor, and there are bad places to anchor and bad ways to anchor. If you anchor poorly, it results in drift. If you drift, you could drift into shipping lanes. That would be bad. If you drift, you could drift into other boats. That's also bad. You could drift onto shore and onto rocks. None of that is good. 
And when winds and storms and tides come, if your anchor is not set, then you're going to be in trouble. Now, here's a picture of a boat. Um, I have uh, this story. I read this um, in a yachting magazine online. And uh, the title of the article was, When Anchoring Goes Wrong. I mean, if you're not a boater, you might look at that and say, that's a nice boat, but those rocks and that ATV so close to the boat, that is not good, okay? And you can see the result here actually is a little bit after that first picture was taken, the second one, the boat is completely up on the shore, and I can assure you that was not intentional. That's not where a boat should be. So Eric Sanford and his wife and another couple went out on his 43-foot yacht. They uh, went into the San Juan Islands out in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. And uh, they were cruising around for several days. And they pulled into this one bay and decided to anchor for the night. And he was a, 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 an experienced um, yachtsman. He knew what to do, how to set his anchor. He set his anchor. They made sure it was stuck fast. Even though he knew the bottom was mostly kelp and mud, the boat was not moving. Overnight, however, while they were sleeping, the winds shifted from the south to the north at extremely high, uh, uh, high speeds and pushed the boat in the exact opposite direction that he thought he would need to be. The anchor was really just caked in a ball of mud, not actually grabbing onto anything, and pushed them. They woke up in the middle of the night hearing the boat hitting against the rocks. The rest of the tide went out, and that's where the second picture was. They were high and dry. Now, thankfully, the boat was not uh, damaged in any way, and when the tide came back in, they were able to float it back out and get on their way. But listen, this is an example of bad anchoring. And we want to be anchored to something that's solid, that, that we're not going to move in the storm when the winds blow. The anchor that the Hebrews uh, preacher uh, speaks of here is a sure and steadfast anchor. Those two words are essentially synonyms and they emphasize the point that we have in this hope. It is sure and steadfast. Nothing is going to change about it. No circumstance, no trial, no setback, no heartache can rob us of our joy and peace in Christ. Nothing's going to rattle our confidence in the promise. Now notice, this isn't just a promise for physical health. This isn't just a promise that eases our minds. But this is a promise that is directed at the soul. This is an anchor of the soul. Again, we're, we're not talking about rest for your body in this series because, because it, this is not a physical rescue mission. When we treat only the physical, we miss the spiritual reality that's behind it, which is infinitely more important for us to address. The anchor makes no promises about health or healing in the physical sense. This is about your soul. We need to get our eyes off of what's happening around us and think about what's going to happen in God's plan. How sure and steadfast is this hope? So much so that you can do what one man in Israel was able to do only one time per year. And you see this, it's just a passing comment in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, he says. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, 
The preacher's preaching to Hebrews. The Hebrews are Jews who knew what went on in the temple. So they understood what this allusion was to. They understood that the high priest could go into the holy place in the temple one time a year. And he would go in and he would uh, intercede on behalf of the entire nation in that one visit, one time a year by one person. And what the preacher is now saying is that it isn't just about one human being, one priest going in on behalf of us all, but now all of us can go into the holy place. All of us can go before the Lord and intercede on our own behalf. We can go into the inner place. We can go behind the curtain, a curtain that, by the way, Matthew 27, 51 tells us that curtain was torn from top to bottom at the moment that Jesus commended his spirit to the Lord. Opening it up so that all could go into the holy place, all could go before the Lord. And that's where we find our rest. That's where we find the assurance of, of the promise. That's where we find our hope. And so we have 24 access, 24 7 access to the holy place, to the presence of God where hope resides. And that becomes our anchor. That's the thing that allows us to be at rest. That's the thing that's never going to change. That's the thing that allows us to be unmoved by any problems we might ever face. But the reality is that many of us are anchoring to other things that we're not anchoring to the hope that Jesus Christ has provided for us. Let me give you um, eight of these. Eight. The title of the article was uh, When Anchoring Goes Wrong. So let's talk about eight ways that anchoring goes wrong in our lives really quickly. First of all, we anchor to people. We anchor to people. You know, I, I just, um, I don't know what I would do without my wife. I, I don't know what I'd do without my husband. I don't know what I would do without my kids. My parents were always there for me. Those are all great things to say. And for sure, as people, we need to be there for one another. And God has given us the church so we would be in community and we would bear one another's burdens. I get all of that. But the reality is two very, very distinct truths that, that most of us in this room know. Number one, people disappoint. And number two, hard to say, but people die. All of us die. Says, this is where some people's lives, even though they're living, their lives come to an end because a loved one that they put their anchor into died. They might have been the most fantastic person in, in the whole world, and they were always there for me, and it was awesome. And now that they're gone, my life is over. No, it is not. Your anchor was in the wrong thing, and you've blown onto the rocks. But if your anchor had been in Jesus and in his hope, that would have never happened. As much as we're going to lean on one another and love one another and pray for one another and support one another, listen, our anchor's in Jesus, not in each other. Amen? Not even in your most precious relationships, not in your children, not in your spouse, not in your parents, but in Jesus. The second one is related to it. It's people-pleasing. I just feel like if I could make everybody happy around me, 
If I could just do things to make everybody happy and, and then that would be my anchor and I would just feel so much better about myself and people pleasing is a, it's an idol that needs to be torn down. You're never gonna please everybody in your life. Just stop trying. It's not an anchor. Possibility thinking and positively, there's so much of this. It's like social media is the Bible of positivity thinking. Fulfill your dreams. You have it in you. Sending happy thoughts your way. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. I mean, that's all a zero. It's a zero. Don't put your anchor in yourself. That's the problem. All of that is just inward focused. Our anchor goes into the hope of Jesus Christ. Number four is religion. Some people anchor onto religion. And it's all about the rights of religion. And, and I just, I need to get to church. And you need to get to church because you're going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, but not because you're taking communion and not because you sing certain songs and not because you prayed certain prayers, not because of a liturgy, not because of a tradition, not because of rites and rituals, not because you took the sacraments, not because you were baptized even. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the center of all things. He is the focus of our worship. He is the anchor not religion. Number five, I just put distractions and leisure. I mean, distractions could be, you know, I'm scrolling through Facebook. Distractions could be I, I, I go fishing or I, I knit or I do, do people still knit? I mean, you know, I mean, it just says something. I got a distraction in my life. I have a hobby. I have something I pursue. Again, not a, not a bad thing, but it's not your anchor. It's not your anchor. Six, vices, not a good thing. But so often, these are the anchors that people put out. And, and on their face, you can see that they're not helpful. Excessive drinking, overeating, drugs, binge watching, eating, shopping, spending. That's the way I'm coping. Okay. That's always going to send you to the rocks. Work. I just pour myself into my work. Okay, I just put more effort into that, and that's my anchor, and, and that's what makes me feel good, and that's going to come to an end someday, too. And I put myself in, number eight, is I, I, I give myself to causes. I have this cause. I have this the charity I work with. I'm in this social uh, group. I, I, um, this community thing I'm involved with, and that's my anchor. That's what's helping me cope right now, and it's not enough. These will all leave you feel empty and wanting. None are going to provide hope because all are temporal and every single one of them will fail and come to an end. We need to anchor to Jesus Christ and find true rest. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And in fact, we could personalize that. I would have you all just write down and just say, he is the, he is the sure and steadfast anchor of my soul my soul, nothing else. And then finally this, I am strengthened by the power of Christ. You see, you, you can't do this in your own effort and strength. And if you've come here like super honest about needing rest and that's why you're taking in this series and you, you want to press in and hear what God is saying here because you know you're exhausted and that you're, you're at the end of yourself. And that's actually a pretty awesome place to be. 
Because it's at that place of exhaustion and recognizing you don't have it in you that you can then call out to the Lord and say, I don't have the strength. I need something from you. And so to testify, to say, I'm strengthened by the power of Christ, and that's the root of my hope. To understand that we have an unfailing advocate in Jesus Christ. Because verse 20 says, he was actually the first one to go to the holy place. He went to the inner place first, and he now functions as the high priest, and we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Because hope is not an impersonal, intangible future possession. Hope is personified here. Hope is a person, or as we sung earlier, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Hope is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reality is we can't speak for ourselves, we can't fight for ourselves, we can't save ourselves by any means. We are caught in a world that Paul says groans under the weight of sin. And beyond that, the evil one stands before the throne accusing us. His demons have perverted everything that is good. They have distorted this entire world. His lies and his corruptions twist all that is good for his evil purposes. We are powerless, apart from Christ, we are powerless against the evil forces in this world. And in fact, we're given to it and drawn to it because of our own sin nature. That's what's causing our fatigue and our restlessness. Except for this, we have a Savior who is the Christ. And right now, Jesus is doing exactly what he should be doing. He's mediating for us. He's advocating on our behalf. He's interceding for us on be, uh, before the Father. And the question is, will you receive his strength through these ministries that he's carrying out on your behalf. See, that's where the power is to actually find rest. And when you start to look at some of the characters that we have in the scriptures who love the Lord and, and, and found rest because they were confident in the promise, they had the hope. Their lives were, were set on the sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. You think about Peter preaching, arrested, thrown in prison. And what's he doing in prison? Is he fretting about his circumstances? Is this the way it's going to end, Lord? This doesn't seem like something you called me to do. What about the establishing of the church? God, do you know what you're doing? He's in prison facing potential execution. What was Peter doing in the prison? Sleeping. He was able to sleep physically because his soul was at rest, because he had hope. Daniel, standing for the Lord after a long life of standing for the Lord in a very difficult environment in Babylon, through double crossing and a conspiracy, ends up in a lion's den. And as the lions, these man-eating lions are all around him, what's Daniel doing? He's sleeping his soul is at rest. The three young men who he, he originally went to Babylon with, compelled to bow before an idol, refuse. 
They're just teenagers. They've been taken from their parents and their land, and they're being indoctrinated into the ways of Babylon. And now they're being asked to make this impossible decision. Bow before the idol in this new land where you're going to spend the rest of your life or be tossed into a fiery furnace and be consumed in an instant. And they make the declaration What allows them to do that, to be at peace, to say what they said, let it be known, no matter what, even if God doesn't save us, we know he's able, but even if he doesn't, let it be known that we will not serve you or your idol. We won't bow before it. What allows them to do that and then to be tossed in and then then to have the Lord Jesus actually, they're so at peace, the Lord Jesus is walking around in there with them. Because they believed the promise. They had hope. Esther stood before the king, and just before she did, she said, you know what? I'm going in to tell the king. I'm going to advocate on behalf of my people. And if I die, I die. That's what she said. Who says that knowing that their life could end in an instant? Unless you believe the promise, unless you have a hope, a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. David was so at rest in his soul. God had uh, had him anointed. Samuel had found him and anointed him with oil. And he was in the service of King Saul, who was like losing his marbles by this time. David's like just playing his instrument and, and knows that God has called him to be the king. And Saul's chucking spears at him. I mean, who allows that to happen? When he had his chance to kill King Saul, he said, no, I won't kill the Lord's anointed. See, you only do that if you believe the promise. If you have hope. What about Jesus? I mean, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to be rejected by everyone condemned to die a painful death and take the entire weight of humanity's sin upon himself. And he's in a boat, in a storm, on the Sea of Galilee, and he's asleep. Because he knew the promise. He had made the promise by his own name. And he would be the one who would fulfill our hope. If you have Jesus... If you have him, then you have power and you have hope and you will have rest. You can rest in the hope of Jesus Christ for all of these reasons. Don't leave that hope unclaimed. Find rest in Christ by receiving the eternal unfailing hope that he offers. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I know that there are people in this room who are in tough right now. And I pray, God, that today your word will have encouraged and built them up and strengthened them with the power that can only come from the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that they would latch on to this hope sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. 
And God, that they would be unmoved by any problems or any trials that they are facing in this life. And I do pray for whoever's in this room who doesn't know you as Savior, that today the draw from your Holy Spirit in their life would be irresistible. That they would not be able to leave this building without putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And now, God, hear our voices as we lift them before you to declare the greatness of who you are, that you have overcome all, and we can stand confident in your presence and on the promises you have made for us. We pray in Christ's name.